What stories are you a part of? It's like people are like, I don't know what you're asking, right? I'm getting that kind of look of like, uh, you could take that in any number of different directions. Part of your, yeah, you're part of your mom's story. You're part of your family's story. Um, we're part of the Bay Area story. There's a story that's unfolding in the Bay Area right now, part of that story. We're part of uh, the story of figuring out how technology affects us and affects our world. There's like a million different stories we were part of. Like a couple weeks ago, like, and still, like, people are like, caught up in the story of like, what's happening at the Supreme Court. That's like a story that we get caught up in. Right? Like, like we're, we're watching it, we're paying attention to it, we're recognizing that it's somehow like tugging on us and pulling us in a certain direction. It's kind of like um, highlighting things that we feel or things that we're afraid of or things that uh, we're worried about for our sake or for the sake of our world or for our kids or whatever. But like, there's all these stories out there that kind of tug at us and pull on us and kind of shape us and form us. Does that make sense? So what stories are you part of? All kinds of different stories. We're part of all kinds of different stories. Um, another question that we could ask um, would be, what are, what are the supreme or like the, the most powerful and shaping stories today? What, what kind of stories are being told that are shaping our world in ways we could not imagine? And this is everything from film to politics to global tragedy and crisis to like every once in a while there's these stories that just like blow up on the internet of like these beautiful acts of kindness that take place. And these are like the stories, like the meta stories all around us that are shaping us and forming us and changing and transforming our world. That all kinds of makes, kind of makes sense. There's stories going on around us that shape and transform us. Um, Let's read this uh, first bit of Colossians. Um, I'm going to read it. You can open your Bible, read along. You can open up a device and read digitally um, or just listen in. This is going to be Colossians 1, verse 1 through verse 20. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Paul has some run-on sentences. Verse 13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, 
things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. And that's how Paul starts this letter uh, to the Colossians. Um, we don't, most of us don't get letters like this. We don't get letters that uh, start out with a greeting and then go like, right away into this like, very deep, very thoughtful, uh, very provocative um, statement about, about anything, much less about who Jesus is. But from the opening chapter here, in this letter that Paul is writing to the church in uh, Colossae, Paul is talking about story. And he's talking uniquely about a story that doesn't just take root in one place for one people and one time, but a story that's alive and a story that is spreading and moving and inviting and connecting. And Paul says that this story is not just like a static story. It's not just a story that's rooted in like this historical event that happened, but, but he talks about this as an expanding story. But he, and he connects it in with, with the story of the scriptures. In the first two verses uh, of Colossians, Paul uses the word Christ three times. Um, Christ is not the last name of Jesus, uh, but it's this Hebrew concept of Messiah. So Jesus the Messiah, um, the one who was promised as part of the fulfillment of a story, um, the story of the people of Israel. But already in this letter, Paul is like using the word Messiah, which is a Hebrew concept, to, like the fulfillment of Israel's story. But he isn't just talking about a story for Israel. The Colossians are a Gentile community. Paul, Paul didn't start this community. Um, this, this other guy, Epiphras, started the community in Colossae. So Paul is a stranger, and the Colossians are Gentiles. They're like two steps removed from this Jesus story that was rooted in the story of Israel and the promise that God made to the Israelites about a Messiah. But Paul is saying this story about the Messiah is, is your story. You're like part of this growing and expanding and an invitational story that's being unleashed around the world. So these people, uh, the people in Colossae, these people's stories are a few steps removed from the story of Israel, but Paul is writing to them to invite them to see their own story as one that's shaped by and held together by the story of Jesus. Um, have you all heard the phrase, the, or like, it's the, the myth of a single story? The myth of a single story. So there's a TED Talk by this Nigerian author uh, named Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Um, and it's an unbelievable TED Talk. Uh, it's just called The Myth of a Single Story. Um, it's about the risk of reducing, the risk and the damage of reducing any one person or any one culture or community to a single story. And we do this, we do this oftentimes. This is like a human like, handhold into like, just how we navigate the world. But like, oh, you grew up there? You must know this person. Or like, oh, you, you, have, uh, you have this many kids? You must... You must know exactly what this experience of my other friend who has that many kids is like. Or you've been through this, or you grew up there, or you look like this. Like, here's, here's who you are. I already know it. 
uh, because we have this like single story myth that kind of permeates our culture and our imagination. It's like just a way that we navigate the world. So, so uh, Adishi talks about the myth of a single story and the danger and the risk of a single story. Um, and if you like think about what you do during the day, whether it's paid or unpaid, and then imagine uh, being in a room filled with people who all spend their time throughout the day similarly, um, like, think about that, and then think about, like, how long it would take for that room to get boring. It's like, picture a room full of people that do what you do. So I've been in rooms full of pastors, and I would say it gets boring pretty quick, because we have, like, this one thing in common. People are like, oh, you must have so much in common, because you spend your days doing the same kinds of things, and then you realize, like, oh, obvious, like, humans are so much more complex than, like, what we, this one thing that we spend our time doing. Does that make sense? So you can, like, Think about that room and whether... Some of you might want to spend a long time in that room. You're like, that sounds great. Like, I want to nerd out with other uh, speech pathologists. Uh, probably, like... And that's what we do with professional conferences. But we don't spend our lives, like, surrounded by other people who are pastors or speech pathologists or teachers or, or whatever. Does that make sense? Kind of. So this idea that, like, of course human stories are more complex. Like, this one single thread of the story doesn't connect... Um, every, it doesn't mean, mean that you have everything in common with those people. You want to spend days and days and days with the people who do the same stuff as you. The myth of a single story. Humans are more complex. Uh, the world is more complex. We can't be reduced and lumped together into just a single story, just because we have a piece of our story that overlaps together. Now, let's see if this makes sense with what Paul is doing in Colossians. He's giving this invitation. Uh, he's writing this letter to the church in Colossae, um, and also to us, uh, because this is part of the scriptures, this writ- letter is, is written to the Colossians, and it's written for us here in the East Bay in the 21st century. Paul is writing this to see in the story of Jesus some kind of supreme story that sits above all other stories. A story of good news that Paul says is spreading throughout the entire world. And also, we're reading this 2,000 years later, so this is a story that's spreading across time and a story that's an inviting and encompassing and enveloping across borders and cultures and people and places. And I think one of the, one of the questions that I uh, hear when I talk to a lot of you, a question that faces us, it's like a critical question that the church is facing uh, that we get to ask today. Um, we live in this increasingly globalized world. We have this increased understanding of social location, how where we're born or, or where we situate ourselves affects what and how we see um, and how we understand each other. And we also have this like, in- increased uh, understanding that the world is like, more complicated. More, more, there's, there's more people who think differently than us, and we know more about what those people think than at any other place in time in history. So what does it mean that a lot of us um, who are following Jesus were born into this story, and how does that shape how we participate in this story and share this story with others? Um, I think it's a critical question that we're asking as a, as a community of faith um, as, around the world. Like, what does it mean that like, we're born into this story, a lot of us, and how do we share this story in, in ways that are effective and honest and full of integrity? Um, we live in a world that rightly, uh, in a lot of ways, pushes against this myth of a single story. So what do we do with this beautiful description of the Christ story as a story for all people in all places and all times? That Paul writes that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He, Christ, is before all things, and in him all things 
hold together. So Paul is saying, like, here's the, the story. And we live in a world that says, like, wait a minute, we don't like the story. But Paul is saying, here is this Christ story, the story of God, the story of Christ, present throughout all eternity, from the beginning of all things to the restoration of all things. The one who holds all things together is this Jesus. And yet in the world we live in, uh, I, there's this tension. Do you feel it a little bit? Like a little bit of the tension? Like the myth of the single story and Paul saying like all things are held together in Jesus. Like what do we do with that? What do we do with the supremacy of Christ in a polarizing and pluralizing world? This is one of the things that we get to wrestle with um, as we explore Colossians together. Um, the story of God that we see unfold in the story of scriptures is not a single story but it's an open invitation into a collection of stories that is as varying and diverse and colorful and harmonic as we can possibly imagine, and then some. The story of the scriptures is not monolithic. It's not monocultural. It's not inviting everyone to look the same and sound the same and be the same. It's an open invitation into a collection of stories fueled by and energized by Jesus. So the story of Christ that Paul is inviting the Colossians to imagine is not a story that's going to remove their uniqueness or their particularity from their lives or their life together, but will instead distinguish and celebrate their story as a unique contribution to what Paul calls the kingdom of Christ, kingdom of the Son uh, whom God loves, this beautiful and expansive mosaic that weaves and threads disparate stories together. Um, One of the things that uh, we're talking about as we explore this letter is the idea of gravity. As we read through Colossians, gravity is like this thing that pops up all the time. Not the actual word, but like this concept of like this force that's like pulling things together and holding things together. Gravity is pretty weird uh, if you think about it. Like you think about gravity and you think about the apple that fell on the guy's head. Um, We were at Star Night the other night at Everett School and like the Mount Diablo Astronomical Society um, sets up like all these amazing different telescopes. And at like 6.30 at night when the sun is like not even set, like we're looking at the moon and we're checking out Mars, and they're like, just wait till it gets dark. And I'm like, how can we see these things when it's not even dark? And like, uh, but anyways, like I was talking to this one guy, this uh, astronomer who brought his telescope, this beautiful, I can't remember the name of the telescope, but a beautiful kind of telescope. And he's telling me about globular clusters. This guy is a globular cluster fanatic. Uh, so if you go to Star Night ever and talk to the globular cluster guy, because this guy loves globular clusters. He's talking to me about M13. M13, some of you science people are going to be like, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Give me that guy's name. But M13 is a globular cluster of hundreds of thousands of stars that are constantly spinning and shifting and moving around a single galactic core, like a supermassive black hole. No big deal, right? Like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of stars that spin in their own gravitational system around this, like, main center of gravity. And there's, like, more than one globular cluster in our universe. So there's like more than one like these like galactic gravimetric cores that spin hundreds and thousands of stars all over the place. M13 is one of them. There's another one with another number and that's another one of them. Like there's all these like amazing like amazingly large and immense things that we can't imagine that have their own gravitational pull. Um, I saw this movie, Free Solo, uh, a couple days ago, and then I told Everett about it. It's a climbing movie of this guy who, like, without ropes, climbs up El Capitan in Yosemite. Um, it's unbelievable. Um, but th- throughout the movie, they're talking constantly about gravity, about the, the pull of gravity that will, like, both pull you down from 2,500 feet up uh, this rock face down to the, to the ground where you will not survive, 
And also the pull of gravity that, like, if you get on a tiny little ledge with your two fingers, that, like, that's enough to, like, keep you there if you have, like, just enough of your center of gravity leaning against the wall. So, like, gravity is this wild thing that affects, like, the globular clusters and the guy who is, like, has a death wish and is climbing Yosemite without ropes. Um, And Paul frames the story of the gospel as this kind of centering gravity. Jesus is a kind of gravity that holds and pushes and propels, not just in one place in time, but throughout the cosmos, Paul is saying. Amidst diverse stories, there is a movement or a momentum or a force that Paul says is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been among you. Paul says that this gravitational force is rescuing or shifting us away from the domain of darkness into a kingdom of light or a way of life. He says that all things have been created in Christ and through Christ and for Christ. In this first chapter of Colossians, it is filled with language of power. Um, So over and over again, uh, in the Greek and in the English, there's these words like power and might. Um, Verse 11 says that uh, you've been empowered with all the power according to his mighty power. Like, it's just like repeating this word power, 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 that you would share in this kingdom, that there's a rescue underway that's taking place. So there's this power language, and Colossians is pointing to Christ. Paul is pointing to Christ as the center of all of this power, the very gravity that holds the universe together. In the Jewish tradition, uh, they spoke of creation uh, being done by God, but, but specifically by the word of God or the wisdom of God. So you'll find in the Hebrew scriptures um, in, in other Jewish writings talking about wisdom, like partnering with God in creation, or the word of God that spoke creation into being. Um, and Paul is saying, like, yes to all of that. And he's saying that the wisdom of God, the word of God, is Jesus this Christ who holds all things together, who is present at creation and will be present through the restoration of all things, the one through whom God is reconciling all things because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the the power and the gravity of Christ. And when we think about what God looks like, we no longer have to imagine an invisible or shapeless force, but we're invited to see Jesus as the image of God. Each one of us are created in the image of God But the image of Christ is the most clear picture of what the image of God looks like and what God intends the image of God to look like in us. So there's this power, this gravity of Jesus that Paul is talking about over and over and over again in Colossians. And Paul is saying that it's this power, the power of Christ, that's not only fueled all of creation, but is bringing about reconciliation and restoration. But when we think about power in our world, and then we think about the power and strength that Jesus put on display. There's a difference. Again, we have this tension. Um, the power and strength that Paul is talking about, that Jesus puts on display, looks different than the power and the strength that we see at work in the world around us. The power of this story of Jesus is not a story that conquers other stories through strength or through threat of violence or through forced conversion or assimilation. The power of the Christ story is that when given the opportunity to seize control and rule, Jesus turned it down. When given the opportunity to call upon legions of angels to do his bidding, Jesus turned it down. Given the chance to abandon the road that would be marked by suffering and sacrifice and instead choose self-preservation, Jesus turned it down. 
The power in this story of Christ, the power in the story of Jesus is this act of sacrificial love that Paul said brought about the reconciliation of all things by making peace through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. So this story, this story of Christ, is not a story that monopolizes or minimizes other stories. The story of Christ is a story of gravity. It's a story that draws all other stories together. It's a story that weaves together disparate and distant stories into a single and shared thread, a woven tapestry, so that stories that look like your story and stories that look like my story and stories that look like nothing like any of our stories are all part of this shared tradition, this shared movement, the shared gravity centering in on Jesus. It means that our Jesus community here in the East Bay doesn't stand alone. Our story is not at the center. But instead, we're joined by and threaded in together with Jesus communities across the street and across the world and across time, including these Colossian communities uh, who met in houses uh, together to learn to walk in this way of Jesus that we are learning to walk together. And that sounds nice to me. It might sound confusing to you. It might sound frustrating uh, to you. Um, but kind of the question that we always try to ask is like, well, what difference does that make? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Uh, what, what, is there an invitation here? What, what does this actually do for us as we seek to follow Jesus? What does all this mean uh, that Paul's talking about that we get to explore together? Um, so we live in a world uh, filled with stories, filled with different stories. Um, Paul talks about the Christ story as a framing and centering and grounding and integrating gravity that's pulling together threads and pieces across disparate times and places and experiences. So one of our invitations uh, from this passage in Colossians is to take a serious look at the stories that surround us, the stories that shape us and the stories that shape our world, the stories that we find ourselves part of, the stories that are like kind of at the center framing the, the way that we see the world. And this is everything from our collective story um, as a people who exist within the borders of a global superpower um, or people who exist at a time when the pace of technological change is transforming our understanding of reality at a pace that's faster than ever before. Like, that's a unique collective moment that we inhabit. That's a part of a story that we, we sit in together. So how, how does the Jesus story hold together and shape our role in these collective stories that we're a part of? How does following Jesus influence and shape and challenge our patterns of consumption or our participation in politics or our relationship with power and violence? Paul is saying, like, the Jesus story, the gravity of Jesus, calls into question every other story. How are we going to interface with this, these giant global historical questions that we're facing in light of this Jesus gravity that we find ourselves in the orbit and pull of? So it includes our collective stories, and it also includes our everyday stories, our stories as people who are trying to get by in a competitive and expensive part of the world. So how does being a part of this Jesus story shape our approach to our jobs, how we make money, how we make decisions, Colossians says that we're, we're qualified to share in the inheritance of God's holy people in the kingdom of light. So how do we treat the person who sits next to us at work? How do we treat the person above or below us in the corporate ladder? Who do, who do we see in our everyday life that we might not have seen if Jesus wasn't opening our eyes and pointing us in the direction of someone? Who are we seeing that would have gone unseen if we weren't in the gravity and orbit of Jesus? And then what are we going to do about it? It's one thing to see, and it's another thing to actually have the courage and the, 
the instinct to say yes to what God is inviting us into. So who do we see that we wouldn't have seen, and what are we going to do about it? How do we see that person differently because of the orbit of Jesus? And then it includes our, our personal stories, our relational stories as fragile and beautiful creatures with this incredible capacity to love and this incredible capacity to hurt the people that are closest to us. So if Jesus is holding together our story and the story of how we relate to our spouses and our parents and our friends, if Jesus is holding these stories together, inviting us into a life worthy of Christ, what do our closest relationships look like? How does the gravity of Christ transform our presence and our practice and our most intimate relationships? Um, I could give you like 10, 10 ways this might play out in your life, but that doesn't seem to ever work very well. So here's an invitation, an invitation for you to think about these questions. Uh, which stories around us, which stories that shape you, integrate or disintegrate you from the centering story of good news? Which ones are pulling you away from the gravity of Jesus? Which ones are pushing you toward the gravity of Jesus? And then how is the gravity of Christ transforming your presence and your posture and your practice in these stories? You can think about it on a collective level, an everyday level, a relational level. Or maybe there's just one thing where you're like, here's how the gravity of Christ is. In, I'm, I'm invited to, to be transformed in this particular way, in this particular place in my life. Um, but what Paul is saying is that every single thing, every little piece, every little facet, every little puzzle piece of your life is transformed because of the reality of the, the, the magnificent gravity of Jesus. So what does that mean? That's what we get to figure out. How are we impacted? How are we pulled into this new orbit, this new way of being, this new kingdom that God has established and is establishing through the work of Jesus? And what does it mean to live our life worthy of Christ, this, this great center of gravity that's shifting and pulling and holding together all things? A small question for you to think about this week. Um, let's pray, and then we're going to keep on singing uh, and find ourselves at the table for Eucharist. Jesus, you hold our stories together. You speak truth to us uh, in a world filled with stories, some that are true and some that are untrue. Uh, You speak truth to us. May we be a people who entrust ourselves to the truth that you speak. May we be a people who trust the gravitational pull of this story of good news that's spreading throughout the whole world. May we allow every portion of our lives, every portion of our hands and our hearts and our minds to be overturned over and over again by you so that we might be ever deeper formed and shaped into your image, Jesus. This week, uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the ways that you're inviting us uh, to surrender ourselves to your gravity, surrender ourselves to your story in the midst of all the different stories we find ourselves in. Give us the, the courage to live out what we hear when you speak to us, Jesus. It's in your good name that we pray. Amen.